Welcome to Heaven Smells Like Books, a book review podcast. Hi, welcome back to my podcast, or just welcome if this is your first time. Uh, so today I am going to talk about The Bluest Eye by the great Toni Morrison. Um, first of all, I feel like I'm not even worthy honestly like who am I to be reviewing a Toni Morrison book but also I just want to talk about how amazing she is so you know what this is going to happen okay so the bluest eye just a quick intro I think there's so many ways to describe this book and it's about so many things to different people that I've spoken to at least but to me it's about white supremacy and how it affects black people specifically young black girls and I think that's so important and I think also that it's a book that shows how white supremacy affects different people from different generations and how you know if it affects someone from a specific generation it's going to trickle down to the next generation because it really shows how um unresolved trauma caused by white supremacy in parents can affect their children and how that means the children have to deal with white supremacy and how it's affecting them directly but also deal with the effect it had on their parents and you know it's it just makes makes things even more painful um i think another important thing (laughs) just to make it more clear is that the book is about a young black girl called Piccola. Piccola is like very young preteen so around 10-11 years and she is obsessed with the idea of having blue eyes and you know for very obvious reasons being that only white people have blue eyes and it's a book based in the 1940s and so beauty was um, defined by western features or features that white people have so it's about you know her quest for blue eyes and why she wanted blue eyes and every traumatic thing that just comes from that so yeah excited to get into this okay so I'm going to start with the writing right and again it's a Toni Morrison book so I probably don't need to tell you that it's a very well written book and I just feel like that doesn't quite cut it like that doesn't describe how amazing the writing is if you've read a Toni Morrison book I know you're going to listen to this and think oh I know what she's talking about Toni Morrison was an amazing writer but i'm telling you i don't care what tony morrison book you've read if you haven't read the bluest eye you do not understand what i'm talking about like you need to read this book to understand what i'm talking about the writing in this book is so beautiful there's honestly no other word like it's just so so beautiful and poetic and i kept rereading sentences and paragraphs because I just could not understand how 
Toni Morrison was able to do the things she did with words. I was like, I did not know words could make me feel like this. Like the way she formed the sentences and the paragraphs, I just couldn't. It's amazing. Like every single sentence had so much impact. Like everything was so intentional. There were sentences that I felt like if you just replace even just one word with a synonym, it would not work. Like it felt like she picked every single word for a reason. It honestly the most beautiful book I have ever read in my entire life. And it's just so sad that it's about such a sad and traumatizing thing because I feel like I can't say this is a beautiful book to read because the writing is beautiful to read however the story and the content is quite heartbreaking but yeah no the writing you have to read this book you just just for the writing like I don't care if you don't even pay attention to the story just pay attention to the writing um but yeah, I'm going to stop talking about that because otherwise the next 30 minutes would just be me, you know, saying how poetic Toni Morrison is. Also, this was her first book. I just, okay, I'm going to stop now. Um, okay, so the book is about Piccolo, like I said before. Um, but Toni Morrison did this thing where each main character in Piccolo's life also has a chapter dedicated dedicated to them in the book and I found that very helpful and okay so before I read this book I had read and heard people say that if you are reading a Toni Morrison book you might find it hard to follow what she's saying because she kind of switches between different characters and goes back and forth in time especially when the book is about a girl or a woman which was why I held off and um started my Toni Morrison journey with Songs of Solomon because that one is about a man so it's very linear in time but I actually disagree with that because I didn't find it hard to follow her at all I felt like even though she was changing switching characters and switching and going back and forth in time it was still easy because every character that had a chapter was previously introduced to us. So it wasn't a case of, oh, here's a new chapter with a completely new character that you now have to learn about. It was more like, here's a new chapter. And in this chapter, you get to learn more about this character that you already know. So that was actually very useful. It also meant that it made it easier for me to understand and have a clearer view of the bigger picture and I felt like I you know could see the clearer picture because I could understand why each character behaved the way they did you know like if you only focus on someone's present day without understanding the different things that they did or had done to them in the past sometimes it doesn't you know paint a complete picture and I think doing that solved that problem in this book so I thought that was really really well done as well 
Okay, so a lot of upsetting things happen in this book, but I'm only going to talk about a few, so we're not here for like ever. And I'm going to start with Piccola's obsession with blue eyes. In case you've forgotten already, Piccola is a black girl. And so she obviously does not have blue eyes. However, because of her understanding of what beauty is, she was convinced that she had to have blue eyes to be considered considered as beautiful. Now, that in itself is already so upsetting and heartbreaking. However, whenever I think about how she also equates beauty to respect or with respect, it's even more upsetting. Because on one hand, I want to find her and tell her that the fact that she's black and has black features does not mean that she's ugly. But also, on the other hand, I also want to tell her that, you know what, babe, it actually doesn't matter what you look like. You deserve love and respect just because you exist, not because of how you look or what you look like or if you fit into someone's definition of beauty just because you exist. That's why. And there's a paragraph in the book where, because I was thinking to herself that, oh, like, if only she could have blue eyes, you know, then maybe her parents would finally pay attention to her and maybe they'd finally love her and care for her and stop all these horrible things from happening to her. And I, it was so deeply upsetting for the reasons I just already explained, but also just thinking that this is still something that young black girls probably still feel and think about today. And it's so unfair and ridiculous. And it made me think about how it's important, how important, how important law representation is. Because Piccola, like I said, in the media, around her you know there was no one that looked like her that people referred to as beautiful so obviously it made it harder for her to think that she wasn't ugly like ugly is what was used in the book to describe her and that's also the word she used to describe herself and it you know it's very important that we have black women in visible spaces so that other black women and young black girls can look to them and see people like who look like them and are deemed quote-unquote beautiful just you know to make it easier to see beauty in yourself and at some point like I read this book and then I watched Black is King by Beyonce and obviously saw the brown skin girl video and I just kept thinking I wish I could just sit Piccola down and play the song for her and make her watch the video just so she could see these beautiful dark skinned women with brown eyes who are like clearly clearly beautiful and also again I every time I think about that I also think but it shouldn't matter if you're beautiful or not you know, you're still worthy regardless. And it also really upset me that her parents couldn't see this. They weren't paying enough attention to this nine or 10 year old girl to see that she genuinely felt ugly. And I know it might seem like such 
a little thing and such a vain thing but I think it's still important I don't know if you're sitting there lying to yourself that you don't care about the way you look and it doesn't matter blah 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 if that's how you feel fine but also there's there are so many women who don't feel that way and so it's important to make sure that they also feel beautiful um yeah girl that that was really tough and then also there was um a page in the book where she described how a salesman i think or a shop attendant treated her um because of the way she looked and it was so heartbreaking because it wasn't that he treated her way because she was ugly it was that he treated her that way just because she was a black girl and again still something that black girls and black people go through today so it was quite triggering to be honest to um to read that again um but just yeah it it was truly heartbreaking to read about a nine-year-old girl equating blackness to ugliness but yeah and then also Piccolo's mother is also a very important part of the story and although I think she was a terrible mother I still want to talk about the terrible and unfair things that happened to her herself as a person not really as a mother but before I do that I want to talk about something that she did to Piccola that made me want to fight there were so many points in this book that I was upset but this was the only part of the book that made me think yeah no I want to put this book down like this is too much so Piccola's mother her name is Pauline she worked as a maid for this white family and because life had dealt her so many horrible cards, you know, marriage with an abusive man, being a black woman who moved up north in the US in the 1930s slash 40s, and just how she had to adapt to the more intense version of racism in the north. And so, you know, because of all those things, her work became sort of a form of escape for her. You know, when she's at work, she doesn't have to deal with that trash husband. She doesn't have to deal with the fact that she's not really living a comfortable life. Um, and everything around her in this house owned by this white family is beautiful. And so that's where she puts in all of her energy. And I completely see how she got there and I you know understand it however so one day Piccola was at the house that her mother worked in she was there with two of her friends and um her mother they were in the kitchen and her mother Pauline left the kitchen to get something and before she left she was cooking something so there was a pot on the stove or something on the gas cooker and somehow Piccola um, knocked the pot over and I think the pot broke and, you know, the content obviously spilt out and created a mess. And the white child who lived, you know, the white child from the family that Pauline worked for 
came downstairs she was in the kitchen and just I guess being around three young black girls was deeply upsetting to her because clearly you know being around black people is just such a horrible thing and the girls started crying and Piccola's mother Pauline she came back into the kitchen she went back into the kitchen and you know could obviously see the mess that Piccola created and she got so angry and on one hand I as someone who also has a black mother I was kind of expecting that reaction of anger like why did you mess up all the work that I just did so she hit Piccola she sent her out of the kitchen out of the house actually but then she turned to the little white girl and she's consoling the girl and she's being so gentle after the girl had insulted her daughter after treating her daughter so horribly she was so gentle with this little white girl just because she was white I cannot tell you how annoying that was because yes again you can see Piccola witnessing her mother treat her like trash only to turn around and treat this little white girl like she is made of glass and just has to be pampered and also something that was truly horrible was that before we got to that page I did not think that Pauline had any tenderness or love in her like I thought she was all force and anger and so to finally see that part of her but like see that she couldn't offer that to her own child but she offered it to this white child that was upset for no fucking reason really pissed me off it really 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 upsets me and I yeah I, I, I didn't like that at all and I think that although life can be really tough and really fucked up I think it's still important to make sure that the people you call family and the people you live with it's really important to make sure that they don't get the worst of you like I don't care how tired and exhausting life is you should at least offer them some kindness and love like some soft part of you they deserve that as well they don't deserve to only see the horrible and worst parts of you um but like I said earlier Pauline had also been through a lot of shit herself and one of the horrible things that happened to her that I personally can really relate to was her experience with doctors white doctors specifically so she talked about how pauline talked about how when she was in labor and she was in the hospital she had to basically watch these doctors treat the white women with so much kindness you know the way doctors are supposed to treat patients and women who are about to give birth in case you know nothing about childbirth and labor and all that it's very very painful (laughs) like it is incredibly painful and it's not something that you have to experience to know that it's painful like just knowing how big babies are and how tiny vaginas are and how much it has to expand to let that baby out you can understand how painful that is but the doctors understood that it was painful for white women to go through labor however they went to pauline and literally said this one here 
when she's giving birth she doesn't need any like extra help or support or painkillers because she's essentially like an animal and pauline made a very important point where she was like what do you mean i give birth like an animal like what the fuck does that mean but also what makes you think animals also don't feel pain she was like he's comparing me to something he has clearly never actually seen or experienced because anyone who has seen any animal mammal give birth would know that it's a painful experience and i could really relate to that because even though it's 2020 white doctors still don't take black people seriously when it comes to pain i will talk about black women specifically and white doctors do not take black women seriously when we tell them that we are in pain and as someone who has experienced this firsthand on so many occasions i read it and i was like yeah so I mean, I knew that it's something that has been happening forever, but just confirmation, I guess. And a lot of it is actually stemmed from slavery. And so I was reading something about how a lot of the research that doctors do or researchers do that have to do in medicine and health today still don't include black people. And so if your sample size for your research only has white people, it's not going like the results of it won't be inclusive like it's not going to include black and brown people like for example something as small as spf i read somewhere that the calculation for how much spf you need and um what grade of spf you need the calculation is somehow based on how quickly your skin turns red i.e. burns when it's exposed to the sun and any black or brown person listening to this knows that most black and brown people do not turn red when they are sunburned like i know for me it well it depends on what part of my body but most parts of my body would not turn red if it's my face sure i might look a bit flushed but most black people don't actually turn red and so if the symptoms show up in white people a specific way and there's no research to show how it shows up on black people you go to doctors and they don't believe that you're in pain because you're not showing symptoms the same way white people do and pauline was like because these white women are screaming and crying and my pain is showing up differently and i'm not screaming and crying doesn't mean that i'm not in pain and yeah i mean it's i i don't really know what else to say about this i have read different articles written by black women talking about how you know they've essentially almost lost their lives because white doctors would not take them seriously i have personally had to i personally had to go through like a whole year of being in pain because a bunch of white doctors did not take me seriously I remember at some point, this was in my final year at uni, and so final year, as anyone who has been through uni knows, is a very fucking stressful period. And I remember saying very clearly to a doctor that I'm literally here in the clinic every week for 12 months talking and complaining about the same symptoms. You guys haven't done any tests. I don't know what is wrong with me. You guys are just giving me drugs that are obviously making things worse. 
and I am scared that at some point whatever is causing this is going to get worse because we're not treating it and I'm just going to die I mean I tell you this wise man laughed at me and said haha don't worry you're not going to die and then carried on to prescribe another drug that again just made things worse it's insane like I've had a doctor tell me that my inability to breathe properly was just in my head and then 10 hours later I ended up in the A&E which is same as the emergency room because obviously my inability to breathe was clearly not in my head it was because there was something actually wrong and like black people actually die because white doctors don't fucking listen to us and I need that shit to stop um and just a side note, I really hate it when people say things like, oh, we, not that I hate it, but I, I just think it's it's not really talking about it properly. When people say, oh, we need more black people to study medicine and become doctors. Have you ever spoken to a black doctor? Like when they tell you the shit they go through with these racist co-workers, you would actually want them to quit their jobs. And so if we're going to be talking about how we need more black doctors and we we need more black physicians or whatever, we also need to talk about how those industries need to change. Like I hate the idea of us putting more black people into racist industries because then they have to do with making changes, but they also have to do with racist people. But anyway, I'm starting to rant. I'm going to move on. But still on the theme of white people and how fucking racist and annoying they are i want to talk about pauline's first employer after moving up north with her husband so like i said pauline's husband was abusive and he used to hit her and there was an incident where he went to her employer's house to beat her now i know you're wondering why on earth would anyone go to their wives place of work just to fight with them but this man was truly deranged like he was such a horrible person um anyway um pauline's employer obviously witnessed this and she was like pauline you have to leave this man which is fine i completely understand wanting someone even in an abusive in an abusive relationship to leave i think that's you know such a natural reaction where this woman had me fucked up was when she refused to pay pauline her salary because pauline did not want to leave her husband so she fired pauline and refused to pay her for the job she had already done and so Pauline was stuck at home with her abusive husband and she also had no money to buy food or pay for gas to heat up her house. And I know the white woman thought, excuse me, I know the white woman thought that she was doing the right thing and, you know, being a feminist and trying to support a fellow woman. However, I think if you're going to be fighting for women you can't have a one-size-fits-all solution you need to look at every woman's situation and create a solution that works for her this white woman kept telling pauline that you should divorce him and get money like alimony 
and leave him and you still have money and you'll be fine but pauline was like this man does not have any money for himself let alone any money to give to me if i leave him and you know she was like where am i supposed to go what am i supposed to do but this white woman was just drowning in her privilege in her race and class privilege like she could not see beyond that and that really upsets me because it's something that i still see people do today you know i understand that their intentions are great and all that but your intentions don't really mean shit if the actions you are doing are just hurting someone more because in an attempt to help Pauline she actually ended up making things worse for Pauline because then Pauline was stuck with an abusive with an abusive husband with no money and it remind okay it didn't completely remind me but when I was thinking about it it made me think about this video that was released I think last year maybe two years ago and it was a video about domestic violence but the emphasis was still on the woman being abused to leave and the message was something along the lines of you need to wake up and leave him before he kills you. And I just thought that was so unfair to victims to tell them that it's if if you're in an abusive relationship, essentially the fact that you are still in one is your fault. But that's not the case for most women. Like so many women are stuck in abusive relationships, not because they don't have this quote-unquote strength the fuck that means to leave it's because they don't have the financial means to leave a lot of them don't have enough money to leave a lot of them have children and so they don't have enough money to feed and house their children and pay for school fees and all of those things if they leave and so if you as a woman with not even just white women i see black women doing this too if you as a woman with class privilege if you're helping women who don't have class privilege you need to address that and you need to listen to them and you need to know that no one just enjoys being in an abusive relationship and no one is staying there because they are weak like how dare you call a victim weak it's because they don't have the means to and you need to find ways to help each woman that works for her situation for like her specific situation anyway that really pissed me off because the white woman made things worse for the woman and also the points i just made about how your feminism and your fights for women should be inclusive you shouldn't just you know think that everyone has the same privileges that you do because we don't you know um yeah okay so i want to talk about piccolo's father but specifically about something that happened to him when he was younger so basically he was having sex consensual sex with this girl and um after well during the act two white men came in and basically forced them to simulate the sexual act that they caught them in which was obviously assault because there was no consent there and what really stood out to me was that he his name was collie i think that's how to pronounce it he was angry at the girl not at the white men that forced them to simulate the sexual act 
because I expected that when the white men made made them do that that he would be mad at them but he wasn't he was mad at the girl instead and you know after some time thinking about it and also reading Toni Morrison's explanation of it it was like okay this makes sense and I think it's something that a lot of us do and it's like something horrible happens to you or you know just life and how it's stressful and how that stress often comes from things that you can't control but then you can't really take it out on the things that you can't control. So instead, you take it out on the things that you control. And that usually means taking it out on the people that <clears throat> have less power than you or have a similar power status. It made me think about how a lot of parents actually have, you know, some men have horrible bosses and just stressful lives. And because they can't take that out on their bosses and employers, they come back home and take it out on their wives and family members. I think it's why parents from how stressful and difficult life is, they can't take that anger and frustration out on life. And so they take it out on their children. And a lot of parents, I think, take out unresolved anger from the way they were brought up take it out on their kids you know they just take out their frustration on their kids and are physically emotionally and verbally abusive but I also wanted to read how Tony explained this I'm going to read that particular paragraph from the book here it goes never did he once consider directing his hatred towards the hunters. The hunters were the ones that forced them to simulate the sexual act. Such an emotion would have destroyed him. They were big, white, armed men. He was small, black, helpless. His subconscious knew that he knew what his conscious mind did not guess, that hating them would have consumed him, burned him up like a piece of soft coal, leaving only flakes of ash and a question mark of smoke. He was in time to discover that hatred of white men, but not now, not in impotence, but later, when the hatred could find sweet expression. For now, he hated the one who had created the situation, the one who bore witness to his failure, his impotence, the one whom he had not been able to protect, to spare, to cover from the round moon glow of the flashlight. Yeah, you know, just to give more perspective in case I didn't explain it properly um so yeah it made me think about parents and how we all take things out on people who don't deserve it and kind of back to my point of the people who the people in your immediate surroundings should not get the worst version of you you know but moving on lastly I want to talk about Piccola's two friends, Frida and Claudia. And I want to talk about them for two kind of different reasons. One, because of how bold and outspoken these two black girls were. They were 10 and 12, wait, no, 9 and 10 years old. And they were, I mean, they also grew up in this incredibly racist period in America, as if America is still not incredibly racist. But unlike Piccola, who was a very shy and timid girl, they were outspoken and they were really bold. And I just really appreciated that. And I know personally that 
I was not like that at that age. And I am certain that if I grew up in the 1940s, I would not have been bold enough to stand up for myself or to stand up for other black girls the way that they did. And so I really, really liked reading about, you know, bold girls. But another thing that really, really stood out to me and just made my heart feel all the feelings was the fact that they were the it felt like they were the only ones that truly loved Piccola. And after her father raped her, they were the only ones who understood that Piccola should have been the center of the conversation. Piccola should have been the one that people were worried about. All the conversations about the rape should have been about how Piccola is coping like how is she doing how are we going to help her with this how is she going to get through this what can we do to help her get through this and none of the adults thought about Piccola like none of them really thought about Piccola the way they should have only these two young black girls did and honestly I can't really say I'm surprised because even now when rape issues come up people don't focus on the victims at least not in the way that they should like the conversations sometimes turn into so many different things that the welfare of the victim is completely lost and all that and it is deeply upsetting um and once again i want to read to you what these two girls had to say um about Piccola's rape incident um yeah, our sorrow drove out all thought of the new bicycle, and I believe our sorrow was the more intense because nobody else seemed to share it. They were disgusted, amused, shocked, outraged, or even excited by the story. But we listened for the one who would say, poor little girl, or poor baby. But there was only head wagging where those words should have been. We looked for eyes creased with concern, but saw only veils. And I see, I feel like I don't have to say that just reading about the whole rape act incident and how it affected Piccola's life and how nobody focused on her, not even her mother. It was truly heartbroken, but to just read this plainly written out about how obvious it was even to little children that that was wrong was it just made it all even worse and yeah honestly I just yeah trying to see if there is any other thing that I should mention but I don't think so wow okay so once again I was trying to make this a short-ish 30-minute episode, but we're almost 40 minutes in, so I'm just going to wrap things up and move on. But before I do that, I want to read my favourite paragraph from the book because it was just so incredibly profound. Um, to give some context, in the book, Claudia, one of Piccola's friends, talked a lot about marigolds and how the year that all these things happened that um, Claudia and her sister Frida, they were trying to plant marigolds, but that year marigolds just refused to grow and they were wondering why, you know, why that was. So here's the paragraph. 
And now when I see her searching the garbage for what the thing we assassinated, I talk about how I did not plant the seeds too deeply, how it was the fault of the earth, the land of our town. I even think now that the land of the entire country was hostile to marigolds that year. The soil is bad for certain kinds of flowers. Certain seeds it will not nurture, certain fruit it will not bear. And when the land kills of its own volition, we acquiesce and say the victim had no right to live. We are wrong, of course, but it doesn't matter. It's too late, at least on the edge of my town, among the garbage and the sunflowers of my town. It's much, much, much too late. So on the surface, this reads like she's just talking about how difficult it was to plant and grow marigolds that year. But obviously it also talks about how the land being, I guess in this case, America, but I think it applies to the whole world, how a lot of the time it feels like it's not designed to help us grow, us being black women. I'm willing to broaden that to black people, um, but specifically black women, how it doesn't feel like the world is trying to help us improve. Sometimes it feels like it's designed to kill us and stop us from just surviving you know it it doesn't support us in any way shape or form and you know this really speaks speaks to that how it won't like it's so bad for certain kinds of flowers being us and how it will nurture us and that when the world finally kills us people still find ways to say that it's our fault and that we did not and do not have the right to 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 claim goodness in life you know we do not have the right to ask for even the bare minimum and it really makes me think about how when women come forward and talk about the different horrible things that happen to us because of you know the patriarchy people find ways to blame us you know people say oh she should not have been there she should have been wearing that you know this and that when black men and black women um get killed and brutalized by the police or law enforcement people find ways to justify that people find ways to tell us that we are the problem and obviously they are wrong about all that but a lot of the time it that doesn't even matter and just like this is also time it's way too late because the damage is already done and the damage keeps going on and it's just ridiculous and yeah and the garbage in that paragraph talks about you know how things end up for Bicola which I'm not going to say because I don't have time also I want you to read the book so um yeah if you've read the book i would really like to know your thoughts um so you can leave comments also if you read this book after listening to the podcast let me know again you can leave comments you can also tweet at me on twitter at still somber that's somber with an r-e not e-r i'll leave all the links in the in the description Um, Yeah, so let me know what you think. I'm also going to leave links to get the book. I'm not going to leave Amazon links because I want you to support black businesses. So yeah, do that. Um, 
what else do I have to say? Oh, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at Heaven Smells Like Books. Don't forget to share the episode and subscribe. And yeah, what am I currently reading? I'm currently reading Wash It In Black. I don't know how I feel about that book. Uh, but in terms of what I'm going to review next, I'm also not sure. But I have three options. Their Eyes Were Watching God, The Vanishing Half, and The Girl With The Louding Voice. I have a feeling I'm going to do The Girl With The Louding Voice next, but, you know, we'll find out soon, I hope. But, um, yeah, thank you for listening, and I'll speak to you next time. Bye.